Hello, and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We are your host, Stephen Craig. And this is Parker Dillman. This is episode 186. The Macrofab Engineering Podcast Design Contest, sponsored by Mauser Electronics, ends date has been extended. Woo! The contest is to design useless machines. We have cash prizes up to $1,000 for the winners. The new deadline is August 31st and closing fast. More information can be found at macfab.com slash blog. So if you were thinking about entering and you had a project almost done, you got a little bit more time, so go ahead and throw it in. Yes. And win $1,000-ish, maybe. And a trophy, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this last weekend, I spent a lot of time working on a project that I had talked about before. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had mentioned that I was going to... Uh, go into a digital si style project, and I finally like glued it all together and got my ideas down and parts ordered for a fermentation controller project. But are you seeing everything in ones and zeros now? Uh, you know, it's it's more like black and white with gray in the middle, as opposed to like a full <laughs> spectrum of colors. <laughs> yeah, no, like I, I I've been wanting to do something like this for a while, and so like I'm going like all the way in on this. And I'm actually going to do this project a little bit different than we've done projects on the on the map before. Because uh, a, a lot of times what Parker and I have done is we'll just, we, we do a project, we talk about it, the, uh, you know, throughout the project, and we go until it's done, and then it's done. And I'm sort of going to do that, but I'm breaking this up into three different phases. They're going to go back to back, but they'll be like, hey, we can show completion along the way which i think will be good the first phase is design and ordering so this is where like i will put the board together i'll put the enclosure together and i will talk about the parts that i'm getting and stuff the second phase is building it putting the initial firmware into it and getting it functional and then the third phase is total steven education phase because this uh this module will have Wi-Fi connectivity, and I've never actually done Wi-Fi connectivity, so I have to figure out how to do all of that. So I decided instead of putting the Wi-Fi as like a goal for like calling the project complete, it's its own phase where I have to learn all of that because I've just never done it, and it's a lot of new stuff for me that I'm going to have to chug through. Um, so you know, at the end of phase two, there will be a thing that is fu fully functioning minus the Wi-Fi connectivity. Uh, so I think that'll be that'll be fun. Uh, I say that now. I'm probably going to hate life when I have to start like <laughs> writing Wi-Fi code because yeah, I've yeah. already started looking into it. I'm just like, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you going to implement the the Wi-Fi? Well, okay. So I, I think previously I had said I was looking at doing a full Silicon Labs. Uh, solution solution for the entire project so everything silicon labs chips and i decided to opt against that for the processor and the reason why is because i kind of want to go with something that's a little bit more familiar for the processor just so i can be successful a little bit faster uh, so i decided to end up going with an stm chip um, just because I already have the environment set up and I've already coded projects for it so i can just be a little bit faster on that uh, so i'm gonna do an stm f chip Probably the Zero uh, family, the F-Zero family, and mainly because um, they're inexpensive, they have everything I need, and honestly, they have six UARTs available on some of the chips, and um, I have six probes that I want to put on this thing, and I'm considering putting each one on its own UART. Okay. Uh, just for 
well, there's a handful of reasons I'll get into later. I I still think I am going to stick. Is there a Captain Falcon module? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I am still going to stay with Silicon Labs for the Wi-Fi module. So I've been looking around, and I think I want to go with the AMW007, which is a serial Wi-Fi module that's kind of like the ESP8266 in the fact that it's its own processor, and you can run okay. everything on it if you if you wanted to. But it's really designed to be a drop-in module that that has a UART on it that communicates directly with your processor. And and they sell this basically as a device where it's like, do you want Wi-Fi in your project? Drop this in with our like designs, connect to it via serial, and start sending it codes, and you'll get stuff back. And so I kind of like that. And uh, so I want to play with that. It's, it's So this is actually not technically Silicon Labs. Uh, well, Silicon Labs purchased a company called uh, Zentree, Z-E-N-T-R-I, and they're the ones who manufacture this, but it is under the Silicon Labs umbrella, I guess you could say. So yeah, the AMW007, it's not cheap. It's like nine bucks for this one module. But the particular module I want is a, like a drop-on CAN module, like, like what you see on top of the... Um, ESP modules. Okay. Uh, I want to use an external uh, antenna on that, and this this module accepts that. And um, so, instead of a PCB style antenna, I want to get a 2.4 gigahertz external to the enclosure antenna, and run with one of those. Which that's another thing I have to learn because I've never I've never done a 2.4 gigahertz, and you're supposed to create a, a matching network with it, uh, and. I don't have the stuff to really test that, but I'm going to figure out how to make it work. So regardless, I'll put the pads on the board and I'll figure out if I need to go take it somewhere uh, and, and do some measurements. I might ask around and see if I can find somebody who can help me with measurements. Or maybe I'll just try implementing like a default network uh, and just mm -hmm. see what kind of performance I get. Because it's not like I'm really trying to sell this or anything like that. I just want it to be useful. Um, so I've also selected a... Uh, Takachi uh, FC series aluminum control box. So I went through the entire catalog of uh, Takachi boxes, and they're all there's like a lot of really cool stuff available there. But most of them are not the form factor that really works well for what I'm trying to do. But the FC series looks like it's going to be great. The one thing that kind of sucks about it is it's only rated IP40, which IP40 is like if some dust falls on it it's fine and that's about it like it's not watertight or anything like that not that this needs to be because this is the intent of this box is to kind of get screwed to get into the wall and be near your fermentation fridge i just thought it'd be cool if the box could be like ip68 or something like that it would be really mm -hmm. nice but i i'm not gonna cry about that it's uh it's a they're nice boxes they're made of aluminum but they have plastic corners on them and they're pretty easy to design around, and they're readily available, which is pretty nice too. In fact, in basically all the sizes, they are readily available. It's interesting they have it. It's only rated uh, IP40. Uh, it looks like it could be more, right? Yeah, well, that and like all the pictures are like heavy industrial environments. Yeah, yeah. But I've noticed actually in all these pictures, like this one that's like on a loader. Mm hmm. Like it would be like a backhoe or like a, a dump truck or something. Um, 
and the controls are all grungy, and that thing looks brand new. <laughs> yeah, of course. This definitely was put there for photo op. <laughs> oh, for sure. They cleaned the hell out of it. Uh, yeah. Well, and the thing is, yeah, okay, so it's guaranteed to be IP40, but it can probably withstand more than that, you know? Uh, but it's probably just tested and rated to 40. Yeah. Once again, this is like going to sit in a basement or in like a home or something like that. So it's not a problem. It'll be fine. Yeah. Just got to make sure that if you have a beer like bubbling really hard, it doesn't just splash on it. And then it'd probably be fine for that. Well, too. this is going to be external to the fridge. So it, okay. th- it shouldn't matter. I mean, I've had some pretty vigorous fermentations. <laughs> like when we brewed our, our version of death. I remember you had to clean the fridge like four times because <laughs> it just exploded. So for for our listeners, death was a a American I'll, I'll say Australian stout is what it was. Yeah. An Australian stout that was 17% ABV, which is through the roof. Yeah. It, it oh man, it was so good. It was it was absolutely delicious. It, I, we've, I, we may have talked about it before, but the beer was so big that the second runnings, which for those who don't know about brewing like that's kind of like the off liquid that comes off the off liquid was enough to be a beer on its own like a full oh yeah like a big beer (laughs) yeah and that was delicious Um, we we made a porter in quotes with that yeah and it was still it was basically still stout (laughs) yeah it was 10w40 and 10w15 is what we made right yeah uh okay yeah so the uh, yeah the uh, Takachi FC series control box is what I'm going to use, and one of the reasons why I picked that is because a lot of the Takachi enclosures look really cool, but they're extruded aluminum, uh, and the I want to be able to put holes to mount uh, you know sensor inputs and and power inputs and things like that on the side of the box, and you can't really do that in on this their style of enclosures so i needed a box that had a flat panel that i can put all my Mm -hmm. my stuff on and the fc series works pretty well for that and the reason why is i want to go through sort of the connectors that i have that i'm gonna be putting on the bottom edge of this box so basically this box it's a it's it's gonna be a rectangle it's semi-flat on the bottom it'll have all of the sensor inputs the power inputs and things like that on the front plate it's going to have a screen and some user buttons and off the top of it, it'll have the four point, uh, 2.4 gigahertz antenna coming off of it. Um, so along the bottom, I'm going to have six XLR style connectors on it. So the big beefy Neutrik ones. So mm-hmm. all the temperature probes, uh, I'm going to install an XLR connector on the end of it. So they all just plug directly into the bottom of the box. I wanted something that's beefy and really easy to connect. Uh, so I thought XLR was excellent for that um, big steel connector. There's going to be a USB mini connector. So you, if you need to talk to the processor, you can do that. Mini? Oh, I'm sorry. Not mini. Micro. I don't like mini. What? Oh, what a, micro. You, don't, you, you want me to do USB Type-C, don't you? You got to do Type-C, man. I don't I'm not. A, I'm not, a, I'm not on podcast. board with it right now. Come on. I, I don't know. Micro. I like micro. It's super available and easy. I'd, okay, I'll consider it. Let's just put it that. I'll consider it. Okay. I've already bought a micro connector, but I could probably switch it over. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's the thing. It's going to have two NEMA 515 standard 120-volt outlets on the bottom of it. 
so I found some of these outlets that are PCB mounted and they snap into the bottom of a uh, or a panel. So I can have all of this panel mount on the bottom. And then next to and those are just regular wall outlets. Those are correct? regular wall outlets. Yeah, ex- exactly. Having one of those PCB mounted is very interesting. Well, okay, so check this out. I want to see what that looks like. There's there's a 120 <laughs> volt input, and that's going to come uh, through a cable gland, and that's going to be basically that plugs right into your wall. So you have wall power that goes up through a cable gland into the box, and then that can go through relays to one of the two. Uh, separate outlets that I have on the box. One's for heating and one's for cooling. Um, there will also be a 2.1 millimeter barrel jack on the bottom that powers the entire device. So all of those connectors alone, I want to put them on the bottom of the box. So that sort of necessitates that the box is pretty wide. It's not like huge gotcha. or anything like that. I think I can fit it in 10 inches or something. But uh, because of that, most of the extruded aluminum enclosures that that were available don't have like a 10 inch width other than this fc series uh so i figured you know whatever that that'll work just fine so so the idea of this project is you have power coming in from the wall and it goes into the into the device um the six temperature probes the uh, ds18 b20s that connect by xlr up into the, the device you can monitor temperature from any of those six in kind of whatever configuration you want and then you can set up thresholds or averages and trip points that will either activate a relay that controls cooling or controls heating of the device so i when i was in houston i never ever ever had to heat my uh my chill box basically for fermentation but here in denver i do it was in your your uh, apartment correct yeah it was right but but here in my basement it can get cool well i had my fermentator outside in the garage and it would it would drop down below 50 outside so i had a little tiny like uh space personal space heater yeah. which you like you look at that thing it's like man that is a fire hazard that you can buy for like ten dollars on amazon yeah yeah (laughs) nice well and one of the things okay so i already have a temperature controller for my fridge and one of the things i don't particularly like about it is the fact that in order to utilize it you actually had to cut the cable on my on the refrigerator cut the power cable and physically wire the uh Hmm. the power into a terminal block that's inside the temperature controller i wanted mine to have just outlet plugs where i just plug the fridge directly into it and there's just going to be two relays one that flips on for cooling one that flips on for heating but it'll all be dependent upon how the user set things up within the box so you can say oh if temperature probe hits this point or temperature two hits this point and three hits this point then you can do this you know i kind of want to have a little bit of like logic that goes on on this it's all going to be pretty simple because it's just going to be trip points with hysteresis in it Mm -hmm. uh the the one thing that i kind of want to really implement that i haven't found before is averaging i want to say like Temperature probe one is in this beer and temperature probe two is in this beer, but I want their average temperature to be X, Y, Z. So I can average it and then control the heating and cooling based off of the average of the two beers. Mm -hmm. That way, you know, if one is fermenting vigorously and one is not, I can take the average between those two and get something that is decent. So how are you going to handle 
if it does if it could handle how are you going to handle when you need to ferment at different temperatures so this is not set up for that this has one heating and one cooling and that's that's it it could be expanded to have multiple but as of right now it's just meant for one fridge Gotcha. So and and so the 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 cooling takes place takes place because you just literally turn the fridge on or off. The heating you put a heat lamp inside the fridge, and then that just turns on or off and heats up inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, which a buddy of mine actually utilizes that, and uh, it works really really well. He just uses a heater in there because he lives way up north and he never has to cool his beers ever. Uh, so in addition to all of this on the front panel, I'm, I, I'm going to have a graphic LCD display, which I haven't selected one yet, but I've been trolling around, uh, by display.com cause they've got a bunch okay. of really cool stuff. Um, I do, so I just need enough to be able to display six temperature probes worth of data and then enough user interface to be able to set up logic in there. Mm-hmm. So I, I haven't decided what size I want or what style of communication I want to do to the screen. Thing about it is like, it doesn't need to be super fast because we're talking temperature here. Um, so if, even if it updates the screen twice a second, that's fast enough, you know? Mm-hmm. That's even probably faster than it needs to. Uh, especially with these uh, DS18B20 probes, they don't particularly update quickly anyway. So even if your screen's updating at 60 frames, like your data coming in is nowhere near that fast. And you wouldn't yeah. want it to be that fast with temperature. You want it to be accurate. Um, the other thing is I really want to kind of create more of an industrial look as opposed to like a home gamer look on this thing. So uh, I'm really thinking about... You're not going to use Comic Sans for fonts? Well, I, you know, Comic Sans is really useful and like everyone loves it, right? <laughs> uh, well, so one of the things I'm thinking about having done is getting um, an adhesive back overlay printed and uh, stick that to the front because that always that always screams a little bit more professional you know um i haven't decided exactly how i want the user buttons to be like it would be kind of fun to do tactile domes and actually make like oh do like i think actually takati uh takachi i mean they will do that does membrane yeah they will you should do that i'm thinking about it um Either either that or I might just put tactile switch buttons underneath a, uh, uh, what's it called, overlay, and you can still click them. Yeah. But the tactile dome thing is kind of cool, and that would be fun. And we haven't done that yet on the podcast. So it would be kind of fun to show, like, how do you, like, actually order that and get that made? And I bet you that if you contacted them, them as in Takachi, they can probably point you in the right way of how the make that work yeah yeah i actually have some design guides somewhere in uh, a folder on my computer uh because i had a customer asking about it once and i so i went and downloaded a whole bunch of information so i haven't that's one side of the project i haven't decided like what screen do i want how am i going to talk to it and um, how am i going to display information but i feel like well that's just sort of the next step on things i've already ordered all of these connectors and everything so i'm gonna do a mock-up of the bottom now i okay so i went a little bit goofy on this and i love it it's fun i ordered xlr connectors for all of the probes um and they were neutric uh, brand mm-hmm. i found that neutric creates rubberized gaskets for all of their d-series 
XLR connectors and you can get them in six different colors. So I got six different colors, <laughs> but they also sell XLR connectors that have those six colors on them. So ah. there will be six temperature probes that each, each one references a different color. Hence the six UARTs on the processor that I was talking about, because all of these um, all of these temperature probes run one wire, the mm -hmm. maximum one wire style communication, and STM32 allows you to do open drain configuration on UART, which means you can do uh, one wire style connection. Um, and one of the things was I wanted it such that. One of the things that I, that sort of sucks about one wire is I could like the whole point is that there's one wire, right? I could put all six of these probes on one wire, but then I wouldn't know which probe is connected to which uh, port, right? So yeah. then it would be really so then you like the user would have to say like I'm plugging this into port one. That means that this probe is this. Th I want it to be easier than that. I want it if you plug the black probe into the black connector, the it knows that that's one. And if you plug it into the red connector, it knows that's probe number two. So you can say, oh, the black one is in beer one and the black, the red one's in beer two. So it's, it's sort of a, a waste of pins on a processor, but this project doesn't require a lot of pins. The only thing that sort of sucks about that is these, these STM32 F series have six UARTs and I might want to use one of those to do my USB connection oh yeah so i need to see if the stm32 has their own individual usb connection because if it has usb i don't have to use an ftd right so yeah. that might be easier so i don't know there's still a little bit of juggling left but i've got a lot of the i've got a lot of the form factor part done which a lot of times i i start with that on a project like this like i know what i want the end product to look like now i have to make the electronics work towards that as opposed to saying like mm -hmm. well i have these electronics what is it going to look like you know yeah, yeah, yeah um so that's sort of the overall idea of the fermentation controller i do not have a name for it yet and we posed the, uh a similar question earlier in the year for a project I was working on to the Slack channel. Like I didn't have a name from the graphic EQ. Uh, and somebody in the, uh, in the Slack channel helped name the project, the vent EQ, which was excellent by the way. I absolutely love that. So I would love to pose that to the Slack channel again. I've got a fermentation controller. You just heard me gab on about it for a long time. So, uh, if you would like to help name this project, please get on the Slack and give me some ideas for what the fermentation controller should be called. So I have one suggestion. Yeah. Yeast McGeast-faced. <laughs> you know, the, the best part, like, if I did something like that, which I'm not opposed to doing that, but if I did that, like, having to send that artwork to get printed as, like, a professional overlay with, like, tactile buttons... Yeah, it's just I don't know. It brings a smile <laughs> on an industrial face. controller. Yeah, on an industrial controller. Yeah, well, actually, so speaking of industrial controller, I a lot of our projects have been kind of fun and goofy recently. I kind of have been wanting to do something that fits a little bit more in the industrial category. Something that's like, okay, this project is less about like blinking lights and having fun. It's more about like being useful and having a bunch of useful characteristics about it. That's why I'm not using terminal blocks. I'm making like heavy duty connectors and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and the box is not going to be hacksawed together. It's going to be milled and stuff. So yeah, yeah. 
it also helps that Mauser is is helping us out with creating these projects. So yeah, sponsoring. So our we projects. so yeah so we can do more industrial style things like this. So mm-hmm. so yeah, I spent a lot of time last weekend kind of ironing out a lot of those details. Um, I've got a data sheet rant that I'm going to save for later, but okay. uh, but Neutrik <laughs> has some incorrect uh measurements on their yeah i just went yeah, yeah on their data sheet and, and so uh, the, the thing about it is and i'm just gonna go on this for a second the last project i did which was the macro amp um it worked beautifully but it ended up having a problem because i interpreted some incorrect data from a virtually non-existent data sheet and i said on the last one what i should have done is i should have just bought the part and then looked at it so what am I doing on this one? I have literally bought all of the connectors and I'm going to mock it up and make sure that everything mm-hmm. is right. So even with a bad data sheet, I can still measure it and make sure it's all right. So I'm learning from my mistakes on this. So there you go. Uh, and That's all we can do as human beings. Yeah, hopefully, right? <laughs> hopefully, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I actually have one quick thing that I want to go over, a uh, completely different project, but hey... Let's all celebrate because I finished another project that we have talked about on the map. I'm I'm sort of starting to get on a roll here, if you haven't noticed. But uh, <laughs> got a year ago, two years ago, I purchased some things that were uh, some some pre. It was longer than a year ago. It was it was certainly longer than a year ago because it was in Houston. Uh, <laughs> I, I purchased some mind print DTCs, which are some uh, rack mount preamps and compressors uh, for recording purposes and uh they didn't work but they were i paid two hundred dollars for two of them and they normally retail for like twenty two hundred dollars a piece so like i think i got a deal on them i i'll go with that even though they weren't working but uh, i ended up last week spending a boatload of time just repairing them and you know a lot of times these repairs can be pretty brutal but luckily this one was just like super methodical I didn't actually have to fix anything electrical. It was just, I hit every single solder joint on it. I put them in a bath of alcohol, like submerged under alcohol for like four hours, cleaned every single pot, and I had to lubricate every single switch on it. And the first time I fired it up, everything worked well. Oh, also there was a broken ribbon cable that I found, so I had to fix that too. So it was probably the broken ribbon cable. I'm guessing that the original issue was due to that, I fixed that, but also found that a tech had really done some bad things to it uh, in the past. Yeah. So I had to reverse a lot of their... It was it was interesting because they replaced capacitors inside of it, which is like, okay, you know, like, fine, you replace caps. I don't have... It's not that I have a problem with that or anything like that, but that's like... When somebody doesn't know how to fix something, they're always like, well, we'll just replace the caps and it probably works, right? Uh, but the, And the good thing is they replaced them with high-quality caps. I'm I'm fine with that. Like, they probably spent $20, $30 on four or five caps. So, okay, I'm fine with that. But they did a really bad job of replacing them, so I had to fix a lot of that stuff. And they used RA Flux all over the place, which I just... It, if you use RA Flux, great. Just get rid of it when you're done. You know, clean it. Yeah, uh, you can't really let it sit because it just gets gross and gummy. It gets gummy and it also affects things. Uh, I've, I'm a firm believer that you have to get rid of flux, even no clean flux. I like getting rid of it just because I, I deal with oscillators and stuff at work, and the extra capacitance or impedance that that flux puts on the board will affect things. 
Uh, so, so what do you use when you build stuff at WMD? We use no clean, but we actually clean it. Uh, okay. So it just it has worked for our process that we um, use a saponifier in our washer. Okay, so you use yeah. Okay. So yeah. so our yeah our boards come out of the washer and they are crystal clean. There's nothing on it, and we we've just found that you know there's a lot of especially with like film caps in oscillators. If they get any flux between their pads, it will affect them, and there's chances that they can't be tuned. Um, and mm-hmm. and they'll just go nuts and it's and 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 there's temperature dependencies and all kinds of crap that's just no i don't want to deal with that just get rid of it and you'll be you'll be fine get rid of it yep. and it'll act more like what you designed right exactly so like because we're at macfab like the hq we use no clean for the smt stuff yeah but it's a, it's that weird no clean because it creates like a cap mm-hmm. yeah yeah because it's it's it looks some like weird flux because it's yeah, it's almost like a clear coat, and it doesn't seem to affect uh, that stuff at all. But for the for our um, through hole, we use water based, right? And so we washed that off. So I don't I don't remember what I can't remember off the top of the he- my head what paste company we use, but I think um, I think the paste is M eight or something like that. I mean, I know we use Sac three hundred five for stuff, or we have in the past, but I think there's a Ah, uh, you know, never mind. I'm not gonna. I, I won't go further into it. I don't remember off the top of it. Yeah, we we have to buy ours directly from Micronic. So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, they have that um, that super special, special stuff. stuff. Yeah, it's like a Type Five, super fine, and then and it um, comes in the in the spe- tubes. Yeah, it comes in tubes, but it's it's the same price as normal stuff. So it's like okay, whatever. Right. Um. But yeah, it's weird because it, when it reflows, it makes us like like you're right it's almost like a clear coat enamel almost and so if you have to like probe it you have to like pop through actually it, it, it almost looks like a a thin layer of super glue over over stuff. yeah a little bit yeah, yeah. it's kind of weird i mean it works because well because thing is with no, regular no clean and you try to wash it without a saponifier it turns your whole board white right yeah like, like it, it grows it, uh, yeah because you get rid of because like no clean is a mixture of organic and non-organic stuff and when you wash it you get rid of i can't remember which i think you get rid of the non-organic and you leave the organic or is the opposite way i don't remember anyways it leaves one of them and it actually if you wash no clean without a saponifier you can actually cause the no clean to become like acidic again because mm-hmm. it's lost part of what makes it like safe at room temperature right and you can get corrosion and bad stuff. You know, and that's just the thing. I I think whoever worked on these mind print DTCs had done that because I flipped the boards over and so many of the pads had that like brown white crust on top of them. All over it. All over them. So they I, I do know that they used RA because there was like that earwax goop in certain places. Were, yeah. But there was also that other crap. And it's just no, sorry, that doesn't work well. And it might have been two different techs. It it very well could have been. Um, I mean, two obviously two guys who didn't get it working, right? But no. uh, okay, so I found out, and you know, this isn't necessarily the best stuff. I would I would uh, I would suggest using ninety nine percent IPA. But Target sells ninety one percent vodka IPA. Well, yeah, <laughs> just alcohol and water, right? <laughs> but no, ninety one percent IPA at Target is like 
$2.40 per quart. So I just okay. bought a big thing of Tupperware and got like a gallon and a half of IPA. And so the board inside this thing is 17 inches by eight inches. So it's big. Uh, and that's mm -hmm. one of them. There's six boards inside this thing. So like I just got this Tupperware thing, filled it with alcohol and just threw all the boards in there. They came out <laughs> crystal clean, you know? Yeah, yeah. That reminds me when I did that um that the aluminum lye bath in my did you do it in your backyard? Oh no, I did it in my sink. <laughs> what the you're talking about the lye thing, right? No, your uh Oh the IPA? Alcohol. Oh yeah. no, that was in the basement. Oh no, no, I did a I did a lye cleaning in my sink. Oh no, I'm talking about remember when I did I I built a lye Oh plywood yeah, tub no, yours was like you fall into in it in my and backyard. You Probably. <laughs> I mean, it made it'd be like Fight Club, right? bubble. His name is Robert Paulson. Yes. <laughs> we don't speak about Fight Club. Oh, sorry. Rule number one: someone's going to bust it in the door behind you and take you away. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that was that was Meatloaf, by the way. It was. Yeah, that was Meatloaf in Fight Club. Really? He was the actor. Yeah, he was Robert Paulson. Interesting. I didn't know that. That's that's a good tidbit. Yeah, it was Bob, right? <laughs> yeah, he's been in two movies uh, that I know of. He's been in Fight Club, and uh, he was like the super religious dad in the beginning of Pick of Destiny, who sings to uh, Young Jack Black. Oh, okay. That, I can see that. Yeah. yeah, which was it's really funny that they got Meatloaf to do that. <laughs> yeah, do that. Cool. So yeah, no, I've um, I've had a jam packed week. This has been productive. I've been happy because I've been getting finally getting back into like really actually crushing some stuff um, yeah so i haven't really been working on electronics past you know ever since defcon um haven't really been working on just kind of like decompressing de deconning like before defcon deconning yeah like because beforehand it was like all hands on deck getting the badges getting the doom guy done yeah and so i'm just like taking a little break from electronics but i have been working on like the wagon getting caught up with that um so Little tidbit is I got the uh, new air conditioning for the wagon all set up and pulled a vacuum on it and charged it. Nice. And it was 100 degrees out on Sunday, and the vents were blowing 45 out of wow. it. Wow. So I'm like, that is a huge delta, you know, delta T, 55 degrees. I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, that's... Which means I set it up right. <laughs> that's cold. I that's can follow instructions. <laughs> yes. That's awesome. So I can't wait to actually like get the glass back on the windshield and stuff. And so I can actually see how cold it will get inside the cabin. Cause that's just like, you know, open air, no recirculation, man. That, okay. So that's the worst because all right, let's say you leave work at four 30 or five. It's, it's pretty much the hottest around that time in Houston. Yes. So you get into your car and say your, your drive home is 30 minutes. The first 15 are just cooling down the car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's awful. I've actually been thinking about at work is I got one of those pop-ups. It's take a pop-up and it's about the size of a parking space. <laughs> You're going to put a pop-up over your car every day? Every day. <laughs> it would work. It would be totally worth it, too. I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, the, there's not much of a difference between the sun and the shade down there. Uh, you'd be surprised. Especially when you have a black roof on top of your Jeep. That's true. I should have painted it white. 
The inside is white. Looked weird. <laughs> yeah, actually, you're right. The in, well, the inside's tan. Yeah, but yeah, I should. I just flipped the, the upside down. There you go. <laughs> and then you can collect rainwater. <laughs> yeah, eco-friendly. Yeah. See. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. On to the RFO. On to the RFO, which are not rapid and sometimes no. don't have opinions. Yeah. And sometimes they don't fire. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, so I found, I found, okay, so I found one uh, this week that sort of hits a little bit home, uh, which is called uh, How Not to Light Pipe, which is a Hackaday Fail of the Week article. Uh, and it's pretty cool. Uh, this, this is... This is implementing light pipes via FR4. So basically opening up the solder mask and opening up the copper on your board such that you have an exposed PCB and then putting an LED behind it such that you can illuminate light through the PCB. Okay. Uh, and that's that's pretty cool. The That's very similar to like how a lot of people do their shitty add-ons. Exactly. In fact, the this article talks about badge life and the uh, the fact that they that a lot of excuse me, badge life people put a reverse mount LED on the backside of a board and then shine through the board, which that is a totally reasonable way of doing it. Now, in this particular project, the gentleman who was trying to actually uh, illuminate their board was trying to do it laterally, like drill into the board. Oh, like how a TV screen is. So, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so to basically okay. put lights and have it travel through the board and then out like openings in the board. And if you yeah. look at the images, it just doesn't really work. So FR4 is, first of all, it's not a really great transmitter of light. Like light doesn't really pass through it very well. It's also extremely diffused. You're not going to get very sharp light through the board. But the, really the only direction that you can transmit light through an FR4 is through the thickness of it, not across yeah. the board. And so, yeah, this was not, I agree, it's, it's, it's a fail, and the guy who made it is sort of presented it as that way. But also, I wanted to make sure that, like, like people know that, like, that's totally an option, though. Like, you can transmit light through it. And um, certainly in my industry, a lot of my customers actually do utilize that because you can get some really cool effects with it. I'm dealing with a customer right now, or I have been actually for the past six or so months, that... Um, they have a board that has at least 10 or 15 LEDs that are all different colors that transmit through the board and a lot of cool effects on it. And you can get different colors to actually go through the board, even though like FR4 is like sort of default yellow-ish. Yellow, white-ish. Yeah, sort yeah. of. It Yellow doesn't transmit well through it. It ends up being like a really gold kind of light. But you, so anything you transmit through it is going to be shifted yellow in a way but if you hit a section of the board with a strong enough color uh like green or pink or red or whatever it will show through and so this this design that i've been helping out with you can get all the colors through it the thing that i've personally learned and a lot of these customers i kind of like help them through with is that first of all you have to have a damn bright led to get through because the fr4 doesn't really transmit very well also, this is a point where you really should pay attention to your um, uh, viewing angle. You know, when you're selecting LEDs, viewing angle is something that is an option that you can purchase. 
And like you'll see 60 degrees, 30 degrees, 120 degrees and, and everything in between. And uh, with these kinds of things, you really want to focus as much light in the smallest area as possible. So what does zero degree LED be a, be a laser? <laughs> a laser pointer, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so yeah, if you can get a really bright 30 degree or less, honestly, LED. Th those are actually kind of hard to find because you end up having to put a lens on them and stuff. But a 30-degree 30, yeah, 30 LED that focuses directly underneath its where the, the place is on the board, you can actually get pretty good light transmission in between and have, uh, have good colors come through. But it will always be very diffuse, so you're never going to get a really a pinpoint, pinpoint light. But what's kind of cool about it is like for for instance, one of the one of the customers I'm working with, they have it such that if you turn a knob to the right, uh, then on the right side of the knob, something starts to illuminate until at maximum it's fully lit, and then if you turn it to the left, an LED on the left side of the knob f begins to illuminate. So you can show if the knob is at minimum or maximum, uh, and or somewhere in between, and so it's kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, this is one of those ones where you have to really start paying attention to the LED specifications. So I thought it, I thought it, it was just a fun thing to show off. Yeah, that's a cool project. On to the next RFO. On to the next one. So this is the terrible three set and terrible in quotes three set MCU, a short survey of sub ten cent microcontrollers, and. So this is a like rebuttal against a Hackaday article on like a ten cent microcontroller that the uh, writer said was useless, and so he went through this person. His name is uh, Tim. At least it's Tim's blog. So I assume the person's name is Tim. Good, good, good assumption. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I. I read through it and I mean you people can read through it and just see like where do you get these inexpensive microcontrollers how do they work that kind of stuff but his com conclusion is are they actually terrible um, if you need a low cost high volume non-serviceable part that has you know limited functionality because they don't have a lot of peripherals on them but if you just need to like flip a couple you know pins high or low and with some programmable functionality, is it really, you know, useless? I would say most Arduino projects could be probably you can probably like, you know, use these ten cent microcontrollers. Yeah, they can sit on this. <laughs> I can see that these ten cent microcontrollers all have very similar specifications. I shouldn't say very similar. They're they're all in the same ballpark, right? Um, they have the main thing is they're very limited on RAM. Of course, yeah, because that's expensive. Um, the one thing that's interesting, though, is if you look at the category or the row that he has in this chart about programming, a lot of them use the more old-school version of high-voltage programming where you have to pull a yeah. pin high for a period of time, and then it throws it into programing mode, which... Yeah, like negative 18 volts or something like that? Yeah, uh, it, looks it like, looks like some of these are positive 12, one's positive 8, one's 8.5 there is one that has an icp though and then two of them just have a question mark <laughs> <laughs> program i don't know that's great throw bits at it yeah what do we have yeah they're all stuff that you've never heard of <laughs> let's just put it that way but yeah it's um 
you know, if you need something that's super uh, inexpensive and, you know, like if you're putting a microcontroller inside like a toy mm-hmm. that you can build a million of. Yep. And it just needs a flash and LEDs. I mean, perfect. Right. If this is going into a McDonald's toy, then yeah. yeah. Cool. Though, I wonder when, like, getting a custom ASIC rolled is cheaper than three cents a unit. I guarantee you there's somebody out there that has some kind of calculator that shows that, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, it, but that calculator is probably not readily available. The people who do it for a living. Yeah, have right. One. Those people. Yeah, <laughs> right. Their calculator always shows. Well, just go with an ASIC. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, so next topic. So this next topic was something I was actually thinking about on the way home from work, and I wanted to kind of present it and pose it to you. Um, this is not at all an idea that's new, but something that I haven't personally found and something I wish I had or still have. So I wish I wish there was like a PDF or a some kind of document or some kind of resource or even a book that was called something like so you want to pick a blank and fill that blank with like, so you want to pick a relay or so you want to pick an op amp or so you want to pick a transistor. If it could just be. And it walks you through. Yeah. What kind of like what you would need it for and then what attributes you need to look for. Bingo. Exactly. Something where it was like, okay, so you want to pick a transistor and. What are you going to use? What are you going to use it for? And then it could give you demonstrations of like, here's what. HFE means on a tra- on a data sheet because and why does it matter? For let your let me ask you. Yeah, let me ask you something on this. Did any of your professors in college ever use the word HFE, or did they always say beta? Beta. Beta, right? But you, as soon yeah. as you leave college, no one calls it beta anymore. They call it HFE. Who tells you that? Nobody tells you that. You have to figure it out yourself. <laughs> but if you had these documents that just say, so you want to pick a relay or whatever, if it could say like, oh, you know, if you go to if you go to Mauser right now and you look up relays, it'll give you a whole pull down list of all of these things that say like form 1C2A or something like that. Well, what the hell does that mean? Now, if you've if you looked at relays enough, or if you go to the Wikipedia page, you could figure it out. But like nobody tells you these things, you always have to figure this crap out, right? Or if you go to op amps, and you look up, uh, it's there's a figure on there that says R J A theta, right? Well, that's the junction resistance, the thermal resistance from the junction to ambient. I only know that because I've had to deal with that at some point in time. No one ever told me what that was. I had to figure that crap out. I wish there was like a quick resource guide that was like, here's the things that are probably, you're probably going to want to know. Here is RJ a theta. And here's a quick three sentence, like really boiled down, like what this actually is and what it actually means. It, it's not going to tell you how to use it or how to design it or what to like do in a circuit. It's just a very quick, this is what it actually means because no one tells you this crap, you know, Mm -hmm. or here's a great example. You go to Mauser right now or DigiKey or anybody and you type in T1 LED. So a three millimeter LED and there's a whole gazillion slew of luminosities 
if I were to ask you, like, yeah, what's a what's a good range for luminosity for this? Would you even have a gut feel for that? What if there was like a a uh, like a Three. so you want to pick an LED, and it says, oh, luminosity X is like looking at a light bulb from 10 feet away and then you're like okay well i get that now like the, it, it could give you like really good i wish there was things that were like on average people pick xyz and this is a very standard range for this characteristic or whatnot mm -hmm. you know how useful that would be uh like i wish there was just a website where it was like i could click on leds and it would be like in general like this is the standards not standards kind but this like is a, what almost like, like a design see. resource too yeah yeah exactly yeah. or it, so i wonder if this exists maybe our listeners can fill us in if it exists or not if not yeah should we just let the community like or just like let this die or do you want to try to do something about you know it? the thing is like we already have too much crap the thing is, yeah. I would love to do this. I would love to start compiling this. I think it would be so much fun. I would, frankly, I would love for this to be my full-time job where I'd go interview engineers and, like, figure out, like, what, like, talk to 50 people or 150 people who use relays on a regular basis and just say, like, what are the things that matter on a, on a daily basis? Not what are, like, the super specifics. I don't care because I'm not designing a relay. I just am trying mm. to pick one for my design. Like, what are the things that I'm going to need to look out for? Ask all 150. And if all 150 say, like, oh, this is the one thing you need to look out for, well, then write yeah. that down and tell everyone in the world, like, these are the things you need to look out for, you know? So I've got useful. the idea. Yeah. Is we can let someone in the community manage that. We can do the interviews. God, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. In fact, what I would love to see, frankly, and I'm talking to the Slack channel here, I would love to see the Slack channel, everyone get together and start compiling these things. So you want to pick a MOSFET. Okay. What do you need? Yeah. Like, what does RDS on mean? I know, like, uh, most of us know what that means, but if you were new to electronics, would you know what that means? So let's mm -hmm. write a sentence about it that just says what it is, and then if you see it ever again, you know what it is, you know? Yeah, we could actually um, set up a wiki page that's, like, just publicly accessible for people to, to put information on. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like how Wikipedia is. I don't think that you and I have the bandwidth to do this, but I would really love to see it happen. You mm -hmm. know, if someone wants to pay me a bunch of money for this to be my full time job, then you know I'll consider that. <laughs> but I don't like. No, no, I said really is, cool. is we have through the podcast is we have the resources to provide the server, right, and the website, right. yeah. and then other people, the community can actually start filling that in because I really like this idea of like, so you want to pick a MOSFET? What's your application? And then you click that, or 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 enter. That's like okay, you're going to use this as like a, you know, to turn a motor on or off, right? right? These are the things you need to worry about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but also okay. Let uh, you can go even a little bit more fundamental than that. So you want to pick a resistor? Okay, great. If you go to Mauser right now, you could you would see 
metal film, carbon film, thick film, yep. thin film. Wire what? round. And if you, if you don't know, then you just don't know. Nobody tells you this stuff. And that's kind of one of the things that sucks you about college. You order a whole college. bunch of 10K pull-ups that are wire round. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, exactly. No you're like, oh, shit. You know, like, so you go to college. Like, They're more expensive, so they have to be better, right? Nobody teaches people this stuff. Everyone just has to <laughs> figure it out. Or you get into your first job and some nice engineer sits you down and is like, well, do this and don't do that. Or like, let me ask you right now. I'm just, I'm going to pull one out of my butt. Um, the tangent of, of what is it? Tangent theta of an electrolytic capacitor. What the hell does that mean? It's on every single electrolytic data sheet. It's on there. <laughs> it's on the first page of most of them. But like, does that matter to you? And should that be something that you spend money to get that number higher or lower? Is, that is higher or lower better? Right now. Do you know? No, probably is that not. That's something I need to get tested for. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, like these kinds of things, like I really feel like the community could come together and like start writing about this. And it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't need to be something where it's not like you're trying to design the capacitor itself, where you need to know the. Yeah, it's not out. like if you if you look up the Wikipedia page for a capacitor, yeah. it doesn't need to be that. No, no, not at all. And it doesn't need to be like a history of capacitors. It just needs to be like, no. if you're picking a capacitor, here's the like big things, value and voltage. And it needs to explain like what value and voltage means. It doesn't need to like go into all the physics behind it. It's just like value and voltage. But then like all the like, other special stuff like, that you don't know that are in the data sheet. Yeah, I think like, especially like, especially when we talked about ceramic capacitors with, with um, uh, bald engineer James Will... Uh, James, James Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, that's it. Lewis. Um, where we were talking about, basically we talked the entire time about like, as the voltage creeps up, your your capacitance derates. Right. It's like, that should be there. And it should be like one of the most important things about ceramic capacitors when choosing one. Right. And if you read this quick, if you read the thing that says, so you want to pick a ceramic capacitor, that would be in there. And it would be yes. like, look out for this. Also, there could be all the like the little traps. In fact, okay, great example. R relays and barrel jacks. There's something common between those that you wouldn't expect. Both of those components have a tendency for their data sheets to show the device from the bottom side. So if you if you create the footprint, you there's a good chance you'll create it flipped upside down. And that happened at work the other day. We made a we made a DC barrel jack footprint and it was upside down. And it was it's something that those kinds of things about the data sheets could also be then like, look out for this, because sometimes relays are drawn upside down. Just mm -hmm. most people learn that by screwing it up. You know, it could be, the first in, time, it could be yes. in this guide, you know, <laughs> yep. man, these things would be so useful. You could sell these for a bazillion dollars. We're giving away a lot of money right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I would love to create this because I mean, the, the, well, so one of the things is I already know that we have a guy in the Slack channel who does LEDs all day long and knows tons of stuff about LEDs. There's a lot of other people in the uh, in the Slack channel that have specialties that could probably speak to each an individual thing on this list so i don't know that would be super cool if you ask me so let's, let's see what happens when this podcast comes out and see who steps up to the plate yeah macrofab.com slash slack is that how it macfab.slack.com macfab.com slash slack <laughs> one of those things you got it right join up if you if you're listening and you haven't joined join up and start talking about it we'd love to 
hear about yeah, it. And if we get enough people interested, this would be really cool. Which is like two or three people. <laughs> but but what if there was like forty people working on these? That would be yeah, so. I'll, cool. I'll put forth the effort to set up a, a website with a Wikipedia page and just give the keys to someone and be like, "Have fun." So you want to pick up whatever? Yeah. Be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, it'd be cool. It it, it would it next? would also be cool to see our 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 Slack channel start to produce things together. I love I love the idea of everyone working together to just make the whole community just make it better, better for everyone. So, mm-hmm. okay, next one. I, I found a cool um, article. Gosh, where did I find this? Uh, I I don't know. I think it was Electronics Weekly, but it, it kind of went down a rabbit hole of all these links. Uh, regardless, there's a there's a, a company out there called Chirp that makes basically data communication via audio uh, protocols, which is kind of cool. But they actually um, have now brought data over sound to Arduino. So Arduino recently, as in last month, released the Nano 33 Sense board, which is an Arduino-equipped dev board that includes um, a DSP-optimized ARM Cortex-M4 processor. So you get all the ease and functionality of Arduino, but inside of package that also includes DSP capability. Well, Chirp looked at that and said, hey, we can start implementing our stuff on it. So it's pretty cool because it uses the board's mic as a receiver and you can transmit data via audio now uh, using the protocol that Chirp has. So we'll put up a link to where you can check this out. And uh, there's a video that they have on the Chirp website that shows them like spitting out audio and it and it's not like supersonic or anything like that it's just like and then something changes it reminds me a lot of um how uh, analog telephones work where you have dial tones yeah with the dual tone thing yeah dual tones and it reminds me a lot of before you had uh modems you had audio couplers right where you put your your phone on the audio coupler and it would speak into your modem basically (laughs) um The funny thing is, though, is I, w- I just watched a video with, the- with muted, which kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> <laughs> you you lost all of it. I lost all of it. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's spinning a little color wheel and it's changing the LED. I completely lost the fact that it's doing it over audio. Yeah, because it actually plays like it plays a melody. It, it obviously pl- like you if you listen to it, it plays a few tones. I think it's like three or four. And those are the same for every time they want to change the color. So it's like. It's like an open pro, like opening the protocol or opening the communication. But then the next few tones tell it what color it is. So I don't know. That's kind of cool. I don't know how particularly useful that is. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't think of things. But there, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty. Well, actually, you know, th- I could see it being really useful for home automation. Yeah, and they mentioned they did mention something about that. Like, what if? What if you're watching a show on Netflix and that tone comes over the show and then like you can get information about like characters in the show or something like that? You know, they, they, there's yeah. that kind of stuff, which is cool. I'm thinking like Netflix controls your RGB lighting. And oh, house. that changes the mood versus on, on stuff. And so you can like change. They have those lights that go behind your TV right. that like expands the ambiance of your TV or whatever the hell they call it. <laughs> um, but they can do the whole mood lighting where like. Oh, like you're in this, like the the characters are like in the sky, and so like it's all light blue, yeah. or like they're in a volcano, it's all red. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. Yeah. So the TV would have to listen to itself. 
in that. No, no, case. no. Is it the 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 lights have this in it, and so it hears the chirps. Oh, you're saying the lights are separate or it's from in the, the show. That's that's yeah. Yeah, it, they're it. listening to the TV. That way, you don't have to have like the Wi-Fi connectivity uh, for everything. Is it keeps like that 2.4 gigahertz spectrum cleaner because now it's just in the audio band. Right. Right. Could drive you crazy though. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or you just yeah, or you set it up somehow where you modulate all the audio coming from the TV. You modulate it at a fa- at a rate faster than twenty k, and then you demodulate oh, yeah. that by everything. Now all your dogs are going crazy. <laughs> just going nuts. <laughs> Someone told me the other day that cats have a have a frequency range from eighty to like sixty seven k. Is that true? That sounds a little. That I sounds no weird. Sixty seven. That's pretty high. Well, how high is dogs? I don't think it's that high. I think dogs have a better low frequency range, but I don't know. I guess I could go to Wikipedia hmm. and find this out, right? Yeah. Because everything's 100% correct. So you want to pick a dog. <laughs> so you want to pick a dog? Yeah. What are the things you're going to need to know when you go to the pound? <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Next next topic. That's a really cool idea, though. I, 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 I want to see some projects based off yeah. that. Oh, that would be cool for a badge. That would be really cool for a badge. If they're all chirping at each other. Think about it in a talk. It would be so annoying. Annoying. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Go go to the next one. Okay. So new life found that lives off electricity. How does it work? Uh, so these are microbes that consume electrons directly. And we we're talking about this one a little bit before the podcast where fundamentally all life runs on electricity quotes it's electrons right and the flow of electrons is electricity so you can say everything runs on electricity right um it depends on it depends on how deep the hole like how much semantics yeah how deep of a hole you want to dig yeah Yeah. and um so i I, it was interesting is i was thinking about this and i'm like well for electricity to work you need a voltage potential because that's the electron flowing, right? And you have to have it to flow from a higher state to a lower state to do work. Because you have to take energy out of it to do work. Right, well, the flow of electrons is current. The potential is the potential for it to flow. Right, Yes. But you need that potential for it to flow. And that's how work is done, is you're going from a higher state to a lower state. And I'm like, man, I must have missed some biology classes because I know that cells do that but how do they you do a voltage or a potential state difference to use electrons as energy for work does that make sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah how does i guess i need to go take another biology class (laughs) yeah because i'm an electrical engineer so the lot my last biology class was in high school so i think i took biology in ninth grade i didn't have to take and I didn't have to take biology in college. I took a lot of chemistry classes, but that was like, you know, the most we got was organic chemistry, which just means it's carbon. <laughs> a lot <laughs> of carbon. A lot of carbon. That's all that means. Yeah, wait, how um, many chemistry classes did you have to take at a UT? Three. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. I only had to take one. I had to take intro. We had 301, 302, 303. That sucks. I hate chemistry. Yeah. It was fun. I, I liked it a lot, but like... This is something that's like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Maybe it is through some chemical thing that cells are able to 
get the electrons to a lower state or you something. know okay so if you ask a chemist like how the or, world works they're gonna be like everything is chemistry if you ask an electrical engineer they're gonna be like everything is electrical you know like so it do you know if that's a mechanical engineer everything's not everything <laughs> everything can be fixed with a hammer <laughs> Uh, fundamentally, they're all the same, though, right? They're all electrical. Well, it's just passing electrons around. That's how. Um, well, I guess protons. Yeah, passing pass around a lot more than electrons, but yes. Yeah. But someone's going to school us in in the selection. Yeah, that's something I should read. <laughs> we're going to get a about. lot of. Um, excuse me. I think you were incorrect when you said this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm saying we're probably. Yeah, no, like I yeah. Don't, I don't have any idea. Right, yeah. But I, I just thought that article was interesting because it was, because um, somehow this microbe is able to bypass these chemical reactions that our cells use, huh? And just like go, it basically goes up to some metal and goes, "I want that electron for me." Oh yeah, okay. So they and they have a cute it. little um, image on the the link for this article, and they and it says direct up to uptake. In some cases, the microbe yeah. can ingest an electron directly from an electrode. So effectively, it just consumes electrons. Yeah, and so it's like, so a normal cell has these chemical reactions that's using, and it, it uh, it's using to create energy by breaking stuff apart and taking a little bit of the mass, converting it to. Wait, is that right? In no, they're not doing that. They're no, they're doing exothermic reactions. They're not doing nuclear reactions. <laughs> well, yeah, they're they're not <laughs> breaking apart weird. the nucleus. <laughs> no, they're not. But no, 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 they're doing um. Like an exothermic reaction by breaking stuff apart. That's what they're. That's what most cells do, if I recall. Sure. I think that is correct. Because it was endothermic, they would be getting cold, and that wouldn't make sense. Yeah, exothermic means that when you, when the reaction takes place, energy yeah. is released, not consumed. Yeah, we're really stretching. We're we're comfortable oh, yeah. talking yeah. about. Yeah. But it's so so <laughs> most cells have a chemical reaction that's probably exothermic, and that's how that works so this somehow they're able to take a, a straight up electron though and use it so they have to take that electron from a higher state of energy to a lower state of energy to make it work so okay for the, the thing about it is like taking an electron from an orbit requires energy so they have to do something to actually take it off well, right? so it's from an electrode and it's just so an electrode is just metal and metals usually just have electrons just floating on the surface. But you still have to you still have to around. do something to to take it. It doesn't like I, I mean it's not that simple. It's not like it just like falls in your mouth, you know, <laughs> like nom, nom, yeah, nom, they, nom, nom. <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of like float over the metal. Om, nom, nom, nom. <laughs> Um, I really wish I, I wonder if there's like a paper that actually explains how these microbes are functioning. Because it's seriously like it goes, oh, yeah, they just get the electrons directly. It's like, how does that work from a standpoint of make like where's the voltage potential there to like so they can do so the microbe can do work and live? You know what? OK, I bet you I, I'm 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 pulling some stuff out of my ass here, but follow me on this. Uh, so the direct uptake, it says the microbe can ingest. And that's I think that that word is a little bit potentially used incorrectly like when you rub when you rub a balloon on your hair you're moving electrons around right that's that's you're creating yeah. static electricity so maybe just the movement of these these 
uh, microbes is the, the energy payment. And, and like static, they're pulling electrons, and then they bind those electrons with something. So that's, that's the word them. ingest there. It's not, like there, it's not like there's a mouth that's eating these things. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> well, I was thinking more of electronics where, like, the electrons that are flowing in your circuit do not change states. They stay as electrons the entire time. They don't get bound. They don't. They don't. In the general sense, they do bind to stuff like because they're flowing on metal and they're actually like you know skimming the metal. Like so, they're jumping. They're, atoms, they're, they're surfing through metal. Yeah, actually, that's yeah. They're surfing on the metal. Um, but when you think about it and you actually like learning about it, it's like the electrons flow because that's the easiest way to talk yeah. about it. In this sense, you know, is that what's that? electron doing is it going in and then binding with something or when i read that i'm like oh yeah it works like electricity i'm like no that doesn't really make sense because then the electron has to come out of it somewhere at a lower potential well okay so the microbe has to somehow be able to set up a situation where an electron wants to move from the metal to the microbe on to the microbe so it must be a lower potential potentially Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I want to do more reading. On I this like one. how we're piecing, um, like how we're sort of dissecting this. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mark this one as I need do to not know. read more about this one. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm really curious. I just didn't get enough time to, like, really dive into it. Yeah. And, I mean, um, how great would it be? How, how freaking awesome would it be if, the, if the, 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 the paper that these people wrote was like, so you want to eat electrons? You know, <laughs> just be a microbe that does it. You know, this yeah, article does feel a bit clickbaity. First of all, with the thing like new life found that lives off of electricity. And then scientists have figured out how microbes can suck energy from rocks. It's like, oh, yeah. gosh, it's just I so agree. clickbaity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And though the interesting thing is they're thinking like, if they they found these microbes on Earth and they're really robust and they, you know, they can just eat electrons, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they have a very low form of like uh, environment they can live in, right? So they're like they're finding them like deep under Earth and stuff, and so they they said, you know, hey, these are the kind of microbes that we should be looking for on Mars, and just recently Elon Musk talked about Mars again. And he wants to nuke Mars. And uh, he wants to make nuke Mars t-shirts, which I'm totally going to buy yeah. one. I'm like, he doesn't need any more money, but I want a nuke Mars t-shirt. But, but okay, so how great <laughs> would it be if you're like got flamethrowers in each hand and you were wearing a nuke Mars shirt? Like that's so Elon, yeah. you know? Yeah. So what I want to talk about this is... Uh, the whole idea of nuking Mars is you nuke Mars to heat up the ice caps and so that the water melts and vaporizes and all the CO2 vaporizes and creates a, you know, it creates an atmosphere and so that Mars can heat back up right. again. A, a very dangerous atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, very dangerous atmosphere. So it's like, but so is there an ethical reason not to do that? Because you're... From a scientific standpoint, you're harming this environment that's existed. Environment in quotes. 
Um, I think part of environment, I think, I think one of the definitions is like things have to live there. Uh, and technically, nothing besides robots. I don't know live if that's Mars. necessarily. Look that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Environment: the surrounds or conditions in which a person, animal, or plant lives and operates. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the an environment is something that things live in. So Mars has no environment. Is uh, oh that has that no we're aware of. <laughs> yes, as that we were. But so if we like, nuke it, then we can create an environment. Is what you have. we can create environments. <laughs> so is it ethical? From an engineering standpoint, is it ethical? This is some like engineering ethics going on. Is it ethical to nuke Mars? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> because on one hand, you're destroying all this like history of the solar system that you would never be able to well, okay. access again from a scientific standpoint. But on the other hand, fuck yeah, let's colonize Mars. Well, okay. <laughs> now, legitimately, I think Elon has has said in the past, like above and beyond that you nuke the the ice caps so you yes. throw water up into the not i guess not environment you throw it up into the atmosphere atmosphere or the non-existent well no it doesn't have an atmosphere because atmosphere means there's gas there and there isn't any no there's some it's just not okay. much okay you're right there there's is no ozone some. right i don't yeah. think that i don't uh, think there's an know. ozone layer ah wait we are really going off the reservation yeah, this, this podcast. Is really stretching. <laughs> anyways is it ethical to nuke Mars? Is it ethical to sell shirts that say nuke Mars? I think that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I I, I do not condone nuclear weaponry, but in, you know, sort of like in a, like a 12-year-old boy kind of way, like it would be kind of cool to nuke Mars. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, as it, like, you know, like it's fun to like put a firework in a banana and blow it up. Like, what if you did that to a planet? It would be kind be kind of cool, right? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, that's great. So yeah, um, I've you know I don't know what the answer is because it's it's like yeah you're destroying, uh, you know all the scientific research and stuff, but on the other hand, creating an environment that humans can live on. So I I, I mean there there are there are lots of people who consider human beings to be parasites, so. Uh, I think it would be a very. Torn it's like actually, it's like the first argument. time like humans ever went to any island or continent or or uh, like Antarctica. Well, okay, so like, the argument uh, I've I've heard this before. Life didn't exist on Mars until we went there because you know we've we've colonized it with you know bacteria that we brought along on our spaceships and stuff. You know, so um, here's a here's a good idea for elon musk we were actually talking about this at work the other day um he should start a cologne uh a line of cologne that's called elon's musk and uh <laughs> i bet you it would sell i bet you it would sell i right, we want to switch topics now <laughs> so this last one this last one is a joke and this one's like steer, this, it's like steering the ship back onto course. Yes, though. yeah, kind of, sort of. <laughs> we love you, Al Williams. We're not making fun of you here. I just think it's really funny. Uh, so, 
I, I was on Hackaday and I was going through articles and I noticed an article from L. Williams and it wasn't about FPGAs. And then I noticed another article and it wasn't about FPGAs. And so I started looking through it and the past couple articles from L. Williams weren't about FPGAs. And I only laugh because like everything Al Williams writes about is about FPGAs and they're all phenomenal and he does a great job about it. But it's kind of like if there's an article about FPGAs on Hackaday, it's guaranteed to be Al Williams. Were these non FPGA articles by Al Williams also as brilliant? Um, I will admit I read the title <laughs> and then just read who it was from. So I didn't read the full article on there. Actually, I think one or one or two of them I kind of browsed through. So they were they were great. That was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Parker Dolan and Stephen Craig. Later, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our show. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, or want to get on the, what was it called? Oh, yeah, so you want to pick a blank, come join our Slack channel. It's macfab.com slash Slack. Uh, click that link. It's an Mac invite. So, yeah, go check us out. If you're not subscribed to the podcast yet, click that subscribe button. It's usually in your whatever app you're using for doing podcasts, and... Please review us. You have to do iTunes reviews because that's the only place people can review podcasts. It's really weird. Uh, really lame. Sorry for people on Android. Got to use iTunes because um, it helps the show stay visible and helps new listeners find us. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us ramble for like 50 minutes.